Times when you just got to come up and you got to look around with your beady eyes and survey the scene. Yes, that's about to come. I have just returned from the WOR Christmas party. There have been 4,000 people milled back, I believe I mentioned it, the comment on the air, that I noticed the last few years there was a rise of the put-down Christmas card, the hip Christmas card. Uh, in fact, in many cases, the sexual Christmas card. You know the kind of cards that, that I'm talking about, the, the uh, Santa Claus-type cards with all kinds of uh, innuendos and, and very bad cartoons. Uh, that type of card, uh, you've seen thousands of them, I suppose, in the past. You know that in this past Christmas, for some reason or other, there has been a twist. There has been a change. Now, I don't know. I have my theories, and I, I don't like on Christmas Eve to get... <laughs> I don't like to get uh, philosophical in the sense. But I do have a feeling that something is changing. And uh, any good anthropologist will tell you that a change that comes about in a people, a tribe, can always be first seen and is first reflected in the rituals that the tribe carries out. And certainly, the sending of Christmas cards is a ritual. Uh, the celebrating of Christmas is a, is a, uh, is a, in a sense, a tribal celebration of Western men, of our world. And, and certainly the Christmas card then should be looked upon as an, <laughs> if you want to, if you can, as an anthropological expression of an attitude that when a man walks in and buys a Christmas card, or a woman, or a kid, uh, subconsciously, or in some cases consciously, I say more subconsciously than consciously, he is expressing an attitude toward the tribe, he's expressing an attitude toward, uh, in many ways, because Christmas is a, is, is a far deeper holiday than most people would concede, uh, he is expressing something very important about his world very important. Uh, and the Christmas card, I suspect, will be eventually looked upon by scientists and by uh, anthropologists and sociologists of the future as a very important means of gauging attitudes and prevailing winds of any given time. Have you ever looked at Christmas cards from about the year 1900? Well, I happen to have about 50 or 60 of them. A friend of mine uh, resurrected them. It was a peculiar little incident. Uh, this friend happened to be around where somebody was throwing out a lot of stuff out of a basement. And there in, a, in an old box full of junk was a collection of Christmas cards that had been collected by this family from about the year 1900 through about 1905, a Midwestern family. Well, my friend just grabbed them and said, can I have these? And I said, sure, uh, they're just throwing junk out. Well, now these Christmas cards are fascinating because they have messages on the backs of them. People wrote to one another and uh, said little things like, how's Mabel? Uh, Charlie's teeth are giving him trouble again, that kind of stuff. And you, you see how very different life was in 1902 and 1903, and particularly the attitude that people had towards what you might call emotion, passion, fear, and the other things which go to make up our great tribal rituals. Uh, for those of you who have seen really authentic 1901, 19-2, 19-3 cards, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I'm not talking about the pretty Courier and Ives type. 
which people have reprinted many times over. So this is an authentic 191192 card. These were real Christmas cards. These were ones that did not have enough prettiness or enough nostalgia about them to bear reprinting and reselling in little shishi shops over on the Upper East Side where people have a kind of hang-up on a false nostalgia of a period they never lived in and knew nothing about. These are real Christmas cards. And you should see the fascinating Santa Clauses, for example, that they had at that time. It's, uh, it's interesting to note that the Santa Claus of that period, uh, by and large, throughout the Christmas cards that I've seen of that period, uh, had, a, had an almost completely European aspect. Uh, he was a European Santa Claus. Santa Claus is definitely not an American name. That is not a name that comes out of Ohio. It is not a name that comes out of uh, Wisconsin or even, for that matter, Queens. It was a European Santa Claus, and he looked European. He had a European, almost a Dickensian look about him. Now, he didn't necessarily look English. He looked largely, in those days, Germanic or Nordic. Uh, he, he, uh, there, was, there was a great uh, quality of, of the northern climates in the Santa Claus of that time. Uh, he, he, looked, he looked like either a combination of a Swede, he looked like a Dane. What, what nationality do you think Santa Claus is? What kind of a guy do you think he is? How do you think of Santa Claus? Uh, this, this creature, is he, is he, does, he, does he have religious overtones? Yes. Strangely enough, he does, matter of fact. In fact, many people will refer to, if you, if you do something... Uh, that might be called a hip Santa Claus one thing. They feel that you're somehow being sacrilegious. In short, you're dealing with a religious figure. Speaking of that, this is WOR AM at FM New York, and uh, we'll we'll be here we'll be here until eleven o'clock or so on this this uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, I hope this type of show. Of course, after all, I'm doing this for myself now. I realize that not many people are listening, and I would advise you not to listen. Why don't you look out of the window? Uh, why don't you walk on the street? Why don't you, uh, really, I mean it, why don't you walk up and down Fifth Avenue a little bit? Why don't you get out just this once in the world and uh, observe, the, observe the stars? If there are no stars, observe the sky. That will suffice. It's still out there. Even if it's gray and tumbling, it is there. And in the meantime, we here at the Money Factory will continue our work. <laughs> Enjoy life with a bright, clear taste in beer. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. Brewed with so many extra steps. Bright, clear, sparkling. Here's flavor with a deep-down goodness. Sparkling with a special lightness. Let's do as so many are doing today. Let's enjoy life with Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. in Milwaukee. Well, I'm glad to hear that Milwaukee's still in business. Uh, we, 
Oh, oh, you want to know? You want to know what? Uh, you want to know what uh, my observation is on the Christmas cards and the change? Well, there has been an interesting change. The last few years, there was a collection of Christmas cards that uh, came in, and I, I have even a few of them still around. I keep them in boxes back then. One day I'm going to do something about it. Maybe I shouldn't, though. Uh, maybe maybe one day these will be just as interesting to look at as, you know, somebody coming 40 years from now looking at them, uh, as, as I found looking at the cards of the turn of the century. I find them fascinating, their attitudes towards the, the place that they lived in and themselves. And the last couple of years, there has been a definite a guarded quality of Christmas cards. By guarded, I mean really a, a sense of, uh, of an attempt to somehow cover up any kind of emotion or feeling that you may have about other people. You know, it's very unhip now today to, uh, to admit that you would like somebody else to be happy. Uh, it's very unhip to say to someone else, well, I'm not doing so well, but... But, uh, but good luck to you. This is, this is not an attitude that is, is very prevalent. And in fact, most recently, one of the, uh, one of the big name type philosopher type authors, quote, uh, wrote a book called The Importance of Being Selfish. And it's being uh, read, and I'm sure that it's under many a Christmas tree tonight, ironically enough. Uh, and, and th this attitude, of course, then finally, uh, finds itself into the little things that you might think are trivial, the things like Christmas cards. And so for the last couple of years, uh, there have been Christmas cards that have been made in the form of IBM cards. Have you seen those? Uh, that, now, that was a couple of years ago. The IBM card was very popular, where the IBM card spelled out in IBM punch letters, uh, Merry Christmas. And it was a, a, a comment on both the world and uh, the fact that I, as a person, if I send a card like this, I'm not showing any real emotion at all. I'm just making a little funny here. Uh, then, on the other hand, there was another great growth of the, the beatnik hip. Uh, by beatnik, I'm using the popular phrase, the, the, the way the papers often refer to it. The hip, or the beat, or the like man dig Santa Claus card. This was another big thing about two or three or four years ago, the hip card. Uh, the, uh, the the card of, of Santa Claus appearing, looking a little bit like a character out of a Jules Pfeiffer cartoon, and he's snapping his fingers and he's saying, "Like man, dig, uh, Merry Christmas, man." Like, and now this was an attitude that has, strangely enough, even though it seems to be still in operation, it has disappeared, practically, almost completely from the real. Uh, signs and symbols that people leave around them. Now, I can tell you this, uh, having looked at maybe three or four hundred Christmas cards in the last couple of days, sent by a wide variety of people. Now, that's the big difference. That's where you really begin to have a knowledge of what's happening. When you can take what they call a cross-section sample. Now, I have received large numbers of cards from eight-year-old kids. I have received large numbers of cards from 80-year-old people. I have received large numbers of cards from people in their 40s and their 20s, all the way on down. Now, I mean large numbers. I don't mean one or two, but large numbers. So you begin to have a kind of sense of 
That's all right. That bang doesn't hurt anything. We've got a studio here. It's all right, friends. That was Santa just coming in. Uh, we have a, we have a, a uh, <laughs> we have a cross section there, see, and and you begin to have a sense of what people are saying. Not a group, not one guy, not one type, but what people are saying. And the overwhelming thing they were saying last year and the year before was very different from what they're saying today. And I submit that several things have happened since then. Uh, since the, the, the last year, I'm talking about last Christmas, 1963 Christmas. If you recall, just before the Christmas holiday in 1963, we had a gigantic national tragedy. But it occurred late in November, when the Christmas card world was already set. And in fact, many people had already bought their Christmas cards. They had been printed months in advance. And it took a while for this whole new kind of thing, this new uh, realization of reality, I suppose you might say, uh, 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 for it to settle down and to cause an actual reaction in the daily or the so-called trivial attitudes and movements by large numbers of people. And so, uh, here, here uh, in, in 63, there were large, great quantities of hip Christmas cards around, put-down cards, uh, the very hip cards. That has almost completely disappeared. And when one shows up in the collection of Christmas cards, and they do, uh, you've probably gotten a couple this Christmas, they have a curiously out-of-date, unhip quality about them. They have a curious, as though this one guy or this chick has somehow stood still, and she is still back in the Jules Pfeiffer days, still back in the days when Mort Saul seemed to make a lot of sense, you know? Uh, and, and, and she has, or he has, somehow been arrested, been arrested in time or development. And it, there it is. It, it comes out, and I, I can only, I can only <laughs> give you my reaction to this. It's a funny thing. I, uh, and and I, I began to say, gee, look at this old-fashioned card. And it showed a guy with pop glasses. <laughs> I know, Santa Claus with, with pop glasses and the goatee. And I said, gee, isn't that nice? An old-fashioned card. They're crying out loud. And it is. It's right out of the world of, of uh, Miles Davis and Coltrane, and it's out of the world of the, of, the, of the big days of the Village Voice, which, as you probably are aware, are over. It's, uh, it's out of another era, another time, another period. And it'll take a while for reality to creep in on these, because a lot of things keep rolling, like, uh, you might say, like a rolling stone coming down the hill. Uh, long after it's stopped being an avalanche, it is now just a big stone. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting concept. There's a difference between an avalanche and a big rock just rolling. And uh, they often start out as avalanches and wind up pebbles, but still rolling. Uh, it's the flywheel effect, the cultural flywheel effect. But I say that you can tell a great deal more about what's happening by looking at things like Christmas cards than at, at looking at circulation. Uh, this, is, this is a big difference. And so this year I can report to you that the Christmas cards have a curious quality to them, by and large. They are curiously, uh, let's put it this way, non-religiously religious. A curious kind of non-religion religion has crept into them. 
and uh, and yet at the same time, uh, I, I guess what they're really making of uh, a kind of, of a kind of transcendentalism is beginning to creep into Christmas cards. By transcendentalism, I mean in this sense. Let's put it this way: maybe naturalism. Uh, probably the natural romanticist is another type of card that's crept in. By that, I mean the Rousseauian card. I'm talking about uh, the old uh, romantic naturalist in the sense of Rousseau. And so there are more and more cards this year which glorify the beauties of nature, and they're drifting away from the beauties of man, which was the older type of card, which uh, came, uh, contained uh, great sayings by great men. It had, uh, it showed uh, things uh, in a way that man could somehow uh, create this beautiful world. Uh, that the Christmas, they tell me the Christmas cards in the 30s often uh, often read like uh, Steinbeck. Uh, they they uh, they talked about uh, they talked about economic things. That one day one day there won't be a depression and we will all work. This was the concept of heaven in those days. Well, of course now everybody is working. And they're still bugged. So they can't relate to that. <laughs> they can't relate to one day we'll all have money and it's going to be happy. Sure, have you ever seen Christmas cards of the 30s? Many of them just had pictures of money. Many of them had pictures. Yes, dollar bills and one thing or another. Because in those days, money was related to heaven. The idea that the eco economics of a man were far more important than any other side of him. And many older philosopher, older political thinker thinks this way. Of course, he runs into trouble when he finds the rich kid is quite often the most unhappy and quite often the most revolutionary. He will also find that, that many of the, the groups which for many years were economically unprivileged, as they become more and more economically privileged, become more and more unhappy, more and more bugged. So we have to look for other things now to, to, to rely on. We've tried uh, money. We've tried religion, and people still are unhappy. We've tried... Uh, great sayings by great men. So now you find many Christmas cards arrive that have pictures of uh, ski slopes in Maine. Have you seen those? You'll get pictures of just trees. That's all. No comment. It, it, it doesn't say peace on earth, goodwill to men, anything like that. Just trees. Uh, you'll get a picture of a, uh, of a mountain lake I received on one of mine, viewed from a great height. Or, or else... They will go for abstract beauty, which has nothing whatsoever to do with idea or thought or philosophy. And so you will get a, a, a blood-red card with a well-placed little spot of gold on it, which is pure, but it makes no statement, you see. It's just beautiful, that's all. It says nothing. It does not inside say, good luck to you, Fred. Never says that, you see, because, again, there's this new selfishness that has to be brought in, too. What it really says is, look at what great taste I have. That's what many of the cards say today. Look at the fantastic eye for beauty I have. And they send this tweet. And, and you say, gee, isn't that lovely? Isn't it? It, it hardly ever says inside, uh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, or whatever was considered uh, at any given point a thing to feel about mankind in general. Uh, now, large numbers of people, confused, you see, don't send them at all. Now, this is, the, this is a growing trend, too, that, that, the, that they're afraid of making any kind of statement. 
And so if you send a Christmas card, somehow you're in favor of something which uh, could very well work against you, you know, somehow. Uh, whatever it might be, equality, peace, uh, name it. And so you'll find many people today have refrained from Christmas card selling. This is, this is probably the extension of the hip attitude of sending the hip Christmas card, which was the preceding step. Now, uh, the, the thing that has happened, however, is a peculiar quality of, I suppose you might say, reversion to a really naturalistic, simplistic view of the universe in this uh, 1964. By naturalistic and simplistic, what is more natural and simplistic than to say, revere a beautiful rock formation? What is more naturalistic and simplistic than to honor a mountain? Uh, the, the, the earliest of men did this. They had the mountain god. They had the snow god. Uh, they had the rain god. Uh, they had the sky god. They had, uh, they had a million gods, and almost all of them were involved with nature itself. So you'll find a big trend, a real trend, is beginning to develop in the Christmas cards. Now, this is a almost a pre-pagan trend. You see, because the pagan really did believe in gods. He just believed in different kinds of gods than we believed in. And so uh, we are going back to a, a, a very simplistic uh, attitude which even predates paganism. It, uh, it's, it's like natural man. Have you noticed that they have, they have uh, begun to honor natural man? This is a big thing now today. If you'll notice that our art is becoming more and more simplistic, childish. It's become less and less esoteric and less and less, incidentally, philosophical. It is almost it is it is a it is a reversion of the term philosophy to call Andy Warhol's paintings philosophical, or to call uh, Rauschenberg philosophical. Uh, these people are anti-philosophy, as a matter of fact, which is a path to break down towards the I suppose you can say pre-paganism. Uh, it's a fascinating subject, really, and uh, and I and I guess much too heavy for Christmas Eve. <laughs> <laughs> but it all comes out of Christmas cards. It comes out of, of, of looking at people's attitudes as expressed in their natural selection of a card. You see, when a man walks into a store, a person, let's not even use the word man, I'm not going to let anybody out. If, uh, if, if I walk into a store, you walk into a store, uh, you look at a, at a great collection of objets, darts, or Christmas cards. There they are. They're all spread out there. There's, they range all the way from way over here, courier and Ives, all the way down to the to the uh, bop glasses, the shades, the, the hip, uh, the goateed Santa Claus, by way of uh, the, the sexual cards, which had a great vogue a couple of years ago, and uh, all the way through the various types of cards, including the ski slope in Vermont, over here is the mountain car. Here, many cards, oddly enough now, are beginning to have uh, what could really be called Eastern philosophy in them. Uh, I have received at least uh, three dozen Japanese Christmas cards uh, that, were, that were Buddhist or, in many cases, even Shinto. <laughs> now, whether the guy who bought it knew this, I don't know. But they certainly had very little to do with Christmas. 
uh, or uh, what we what we generally refer to <laughs> as Christmas. I don't know whether the whether the hippie who bought it knew what he was buying, but uh, he bought it. Uh, and so so my my thesis is that when a man when a person drifts in and looks at these things and he makes a selection, the reason he selects these things go far deeper than he would be willing to admit or even has knowledge of. Why is he drawn over here? He said, gee, that's great. I think I'm going to send out 500 of those. Now, do you think it's just because he likes the fact that this is red or green or blue? Or because uh, this is a cute Santa Claus? Whatever. Why does he think it's a cute Santa Claus? Why did, for example, a man of 1900 think this kind of Santa Claus was interesting? And the man of 1959 think that the shades, the bop glasses, and the goatee was interesting. What changed in his life? What was motivating him towards these things? Well, this is, uh, this is intriguing. And I, will, I, I submit that you will find more about a public uh, in its attitude towards its great uh, rights, whatever they might be, than in any amount of pious editorials, any amount of conscious philosophizing on it, any amount of... Uh, Sure, you'll, uh, a man will say, oh boy, sure, I believe. He'll, he'll, he'll spend hours telling you how much he believes in Santa Claus. Or not Santa Claus, I shouldn't have even used that, but believes in Christmas, peace, and so on. And then he goes out and buys a Christmas card, which, ironically enough, was painted by a samurai warrior whose entire life was built on war. And his Christmas card, really, in a way, is an evocation of that attitude. And he will send it off. Now, what drew him to that? I've seen dozens of them like this. Does the man know it? I don't think so. Is he aware of it? I don't think so. I have seen more and more people who have proclaimed loudly that they were atheists. They did not believe in religion, were anti-religion, and they turn right around and send out the most religious cards. Which are they? Now, that's a good question. Which are they? Very hard to know. Uh, there, is a <laughs> there is a new type of card that, that really, I suspect, tells it all in this time of confusion, ideologically, philosophically, politically. Uh, there is a new type of card which arrived. This one arrived uh, in, a, in an ordinary envelope. It looked exactly like a Christmas card. And I opened it up, and it was a plain white card. Just white. Nothing printed at all on it. And the person at the bottom said, I am sending you this. It was printed, of course. They never thought of it themselves. They bought it, but it was printed. It says, I am in the, in the midst of all this garishness and all this noise and hoopla. I'm sending you this plain white card as a, as a moment of beauty or a moment of tranquility. As if a plain white card is tranquil. I submit it's nothing. A plain white card is not tranquil. It is a negation of tranquility. And in fact, is an obliteration and is a statement of existentialism in its purest form. Uh, <laughs> now that 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 is a is a is a form of card, a form of a form of attitude which shows confusion. In other words, the person wants to adhere to the right of sending something, but does not want to send anything. Now, uh, that's the old problem of having your cake and eating it, too. It's the person who wants to be anti-religious, but secretly is offering up 50 million prayers during the day that the lightning won't hit him. Now, he will, <laughs> he will, 
Now, this, this is a real problem in our time. It is a definite problem. Guys have this uh, politically, too. They secretly put down politicians, but they, on the other hand, have vast admiration for, say, President Johnson. Uh, not only vast admiration, but they hope that he does it, hope that he pulls it off for them. And yet they'll say, I don't want... Now, then, then you'll have quite the opposite. You'll have the pious guy who says, I believe in the democracy of the United States. I believe in the president. And all the while he's like, boy, I hope he falls on his face. Oh, boy. I hope he losses it all up. I hope everybody, I hope there are riots. I hope there are wars, everything else. That'll show them politicians are rotten. That'll show them that democracy doesn't work. That'll show them democratic. You see, people insist on using the words. And they use the words of old rituals. And so the, the guy sends me a blank white card and uses a word that is a key word. Peace, tranquility. Uh, he sends a card and says, I am sending you this one moment of peace and tranquility. Now, what he's defining, he's defining nothingness as peace and tranquility. That's an interesting definition of peace and tranquility. I'm going to tell you a very scary story, which I suppose I should not tell you on Christmas Eve. But I think maybe should be best told on Christmas Eve. I was talking to a, an 11-year-old boy of better than average means a non-hippie and yet hip all 11 year old boys are uh, living in a good community money he's got the best of education it's snowing it's beautiful there are trees we're walking along and we got talking about philosophy strangely enough which, uh, which adults rarely do with a kid they really say you know they may say hey kid what are you smoking pot for that's about what they that's what's called uh, philosophy and we're walking along and we got on the subject of why many kids today seem to uh, seem to relate to the criminal as a hero they relate they, they call the hero the underdog and the hero we all know that the, the underdog has been a hero throughout all time in all literature the underdog is defined as the hero now I submit to you that quite often he's an underdog for a very good reason. He deserves to be an underdog, uh, which is a very unpopular thing to say on a Christmas Eve. However, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter are we automatically relate to underdogs. Well, now today they're beginning to call the criminal an underdog uh, because he is pursued by the police. Uh, legitimate underdogs often are pursued by the police. Criminals are pursued by the police. Hence, his reasoning was that the police produce, uh, pursue only underdogs. And we know that underdogs are good. And so the criminal is an underdog. And so hence he relates to that. But then we went even further. And we got talking about the, 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 the contemporary feelings, the, the, the terrible feelings that many a youth has, that life is composed of an infinite number of troubles, an infinity of of uh, inequality, an infinity of repression, an infinity of, of badness and evil, of course, all perpetrated by other people, not him. It perpetrated on him. And that uh, we were talking about this. He said, well, he said, uh, he says, uh, life is there's nothing but trouble all the time, every time, everywhere, grades, everything. It's all trouble. And I said, well, but don't you see that trouble is life? 
that the big uh, that the big attitude towards trouble is that it's all part of it and it can it's enjoyable too you know it's 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 there and and you face it all and he said no no it's not true he said the most the most fortunate person is the person who has no trouble at all and I said well who is that person and he said well somebody who's dead now this came out of a out of an, an intelligent hip kid, and 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 I I submit that he speaks for many kids, who secretly have a death wish that does not stop. Uh, this is one of the reasons, of course, for the drugs, uh, the because uh, this is a form of death, it is a form of obliteration of the consciousness, and if you can retain the old words like consciousness, beauty, and truth, and apply them to the obliteration of those things. You've achieved the cake and the eating it thing that everyone wants. And so a man will obliterate his life with drugs of one kind, marijuana, name it. He will knock himself out, and he will call it expanding his consciousness. He uses the old phrase, you see, to, to, to cover up uh, a, new, uh, a new way to, to knock yourself out. And so I heard this kid, and I said, gee, you know, that, that is true, I guess. It runs through the letters constantly that there it seems to be no place where a man can escape from the trials and tribulations and the arrows of this world. That uh, we've gone through all of it. We've tried political philosophies and the trouble persists. We've tried economic philosophies and the trouble persists. Revolution has succeeded revolution and the trouble persists. Until finally... Uh, it, it, it finally resolves itself into this last statement that there's only place, one place, where no trouble is. And oddly enough, this kid was restating the same theme that many religious people have felt for years, that the only place that a man achieves happiness is heaven, when he stops being a man, when he stops being alive, when he stops being a part of the world of walking around, breathing, looking at the sky's men. That there are large numbers of religious people who have felt this, and now large numbers of atheists feel it. It's a peculiar restatement of the same old theme, and that sad disaffection that many people feel for life as it is. Life with all of its slings and its arrows, its tears, its bad knees, its shrieks in the dark. That's what life is, and we're all part of it. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And the only people who were working were radio nuts.